It is so good to see you this morning to have this opportunity to open God's Word. If you're like me, we're uh, often creatures of habit, and I know it's a little bit disconcerting coming in sometimes in that place where you always sat. It's no longer available. So those little red signs forbidden. And uh, we want to respect that. We uh, don't need to be comfortable for ourselves, we really need to be comfortable for others and care about others. And you need to care for the senior citizens like me and John, uh, those of us who are more vulnerable. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, we do uh, want to have concern for one another, social distancing. The last thing we want is any problem here among any of our people. And as more and more come out, then there will be other places where either opening up the side or uh, making other rooms available to live stream, especially for young children. I know it's difficult sometimes for children in the service and not able to have uh, anything special for them. But we're going to do what we have to do, right? Because we're here to worship. We're here to, for the Word of God. And we're here because we love one another, care for one another, and so we do uh, appreciate uh, what you're doing at this time. And really so glad to, to see more and more of you out uh, week after week. But just realize you might have to find another place to sit from time to time. A small thing to ask uh, for us to be able to gather together. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles this morning or your bulletins. Turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, as uh, we look at the question that I'm going to begin trying to answer this morning, is the end of the world near? I'm not trying to scare you, but it is a question that is often on people's minds. As a matter of fact, it was on the minds of the disciples here in, in our text in Mark chapter 13, and people often want to know, are there signs, what's happening? Uh, is, is, is this the end, or are we getting near to the end? Uh, I don't pretend to be able to answer that question for you today to everyone's satisfaction. What I do hope that you will leave here with biblical thinking on this area in order to live a life that honors God and live without fear and live for God's glory uh, in the time that we yet have. If you've been with us the last four or five weeks, you know that John had an outstanding uh, series of messages on James chapter 1, and you're able to access them, please do. You can access them from our website or from the app. And John took, I think, about five weeks, if I'm not mistaken, to preach on 12 verses. This morning I have 13 verses in one message. It won't be nearly as long as John's five messages, I guarantee you. But I want you to understand that there's times where we can treat Scripture and go more in depth and take time, and other times we have to do a little bit of a flyover. And it may look like we're doing a little flyover today. We're just looking at the surface, trying to look generally and get a picture of what's happening in the world today and what should be happening in our lives today as believers. I'm going to read Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. 
And as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat in the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? In Matthew chapter 24, by the way, which is a passage that goes along with this, uh, Matthew puts in there about the sign of the end of the age. Here in Mark, it's all things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 2,000 years ago, Jesus told his disciples that he would leave them, that he would go and prepare a place for them. We find that in John chapter 14, Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We have the promise of Jesus that he's coming again. The New Testament closes out with the book of Revelation. The last chapter of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, and the last verses of that chapter. The very last words of scripture, we have the words of Jesus as he says to John, Surely I come soon. The English Standard Version says soon. The King James Version says quickly. And John's response was, Amen, Lord Jesus, come. And that has been the cry. That has been the expectation of the church of Jesus Christ, of the people of God, for 2,000 years now. As I look around today at the world scene, I suspect that many of the prayers of God's people and the expectation of God's people have only been intensified. We cry out, how long? How long until the end? And it's been long enough now perhaps to wonder what Jesus meant by saying, surely I am coming soon. 
We know it didn't necessarily mean that he would return soon according to human calendars and the ways that we mark the passage of time, but still we wonder and we wait. And we ask the question, is the end of the world near? It's not a new question, by the way. 100 years ago, uh, there was what has been called the Spanish flu, 1918. I read it was called the Spanish flu because Spain was neutral during World War I and had an uncensored free press, was able to report on it. I don't know that that's actually the case, but for whatever reason, it was called the Spanish flu. One third of the world's population was somehow affected by that. And I did read that as many as 50 million people were killed by that flu. During that period of time from around 1914 to 1920, there were 17 earthquakes that took place that were reported anyway. And many of the questions that people are asking today are being were being asked then or being asked now. COVID-19, uh, with this pandemic in the world today, people have asked the question, and if you go on the web, and I'm not inviting you to do that or encouraging you to do that, but there's obvious speculation where many experts have, have come in to fill that gap and that, that curiosity and that fear even that many people have today. And so we find a speculation. And it's the same speculation that took place 100 years ago. And if the world survives another 100 years, and I don't know that it will, and I don't know that it won't. And the next time, people will be asking the same questions. Several weeks ago, John, Pastor John, not the Apostle John, I always have to make that, that distinction. Pastor John wrote an article asking if COVID-19 was a sign that the end of the world is coming. And his response was, yes. And his response was, no. He responded yes and no to that question. That is, his answer was yes in the sense that all cataclysmic events such as the destruction of Jerusalem, which is referred to in this passage. All of these events are demonstrations of God's power to intervene in history, and they point to the ultimate destruction of the world as we know it. This destruction that is coming, and that will precede a new creation. So yes, COVID-19 is a sign that the end of the world is coming, is near. How near? We have no idea. But they are signs. However, if you ask that question by it mean, is it a particular sign that the end of the world is like right around the corner? Like right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm filled with fear, and I'm filled with dread. The answer is, no one can know that with certitude. We do not know the times and the seasons, as Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, when 
they asked him about the restoration of the kingdom uh, to Israel. So there's things we can't know. What we do know, it is coming to an end. And what God wants us to be is prepared. He wants us to be patient. But he also wants us to be at peace. And I'm going to repeat that a couple of times through the message this morning. Because I believe that's what we find in scripture. Here and elsewhere. God wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be ready. He also wants us to be patient. He doesn't want us to be filled with anxiety. He doesn't want us to be found sleeping and negligent. He doesn't want us to be alarmed by every, every news feed that comes along. Is this it? Is this it? If I could use an analogy that works for me. It's a little bit like getting old. Some of you woke up this morning and you woke up with pain. Some of that was old pain. It's pain that comes to visit you every morning. Some of it was new pain. In different places. And I see some of you shaking your heads because you, you know what that's like. And the question should be asked, are these pains a sign of your death? And the answer is yes. I mean, every illness... Every knee replacement, every shoulder replacement, every hip replacement, every hospital visit is a sign that our earthly lives are coming to the end. We are deteriorating and our human life will end. So, did you have a sign this morning? You did. It's coming to an end. Now, does every new pain mean that you will die soon? Maybe, but not necessarily. But eventually, because you can't escape it. So what we see in our world today, we do see signs. We see signs that point to the reality of an end. But we don't know when. And neither should we speculate. Now, I need to confess that this passage in Mark chapter 13, along with Mark chapter 13, along with Matthew 24, is highly controversial. By that I mean there's multiple interpretations and viewpoints, and, and this is true of many scripture texts that deal with what we call eschatology. Now, all of you should know by now what eschatology is. You ought to know that it is the teaching about last things. It comes from the Greek word eschatos. So eschatology is a word that, that we talk about future things. But whenever we talk about eschatology in Christian circles, we're going to find that there are differences of interpretation. As a matter of fact, when I sent John uh, the title, the message, and the text, to put in the bulletin on the website, he he sent me back an email or a text. He said, you know, I was just thinking about preaching that in a couple weeks. He said, I was going through, you know, the notes and we're thinking about preaching through Mark 13. My response to him was, well, you can start at verse 14 because I don't understand anything further after this period. As a matter of fact, he can go back and start at verse 1 of Mark 13 and correct some of the other things. 
Because if we come to this kind of, of teaching, uh, we're not ignorant of competing interpretations, interpretations of future events, but, and, and we're certainly not indifferent, and we study the Word of God to know, but we're not going to resolve those issues today, or probably any day. The details of what's going to happen in the future. Many of the interpretations today are connected with uh, Israel and where does Israel fit in God's program, the timing of the return of Christ, the identity of the Antichrist and the Great Tribulation, the nature of that and the timing of that and who's it for and, and, and when's it going to take place or the, the millennium, the, the nature of the millennium. Is it a thousand-year millennium? Is it, is it a, a, a vague period of time? So all these questions come in. And my response is, study. But don't insist that you figured out the details. God's people, for 2,000 years, have believed, and we, we recite that in our creed, that Jesus Christ is coming again. There will be a resurrection. There will be a resurrection of the just to eternal life. There will be a resurrection of the unjust to eternal damnation. These are truths that all believers everywhere in every age have held. The details, we can differ on them. Because in the end, we all arrive at the same place. I'm not saying the details aren't important. What I'm saying is that what is of ultimate importance is not having all the details figured out but knowing that you'll be in that kingdom at the end. That is far more important. Jesus is coming again at a time unknown to us. He will defeat his enemies. He will establish his kingdom. All of God's people arrive at the eternal kingdom where Jesus reigns forever and ever. Whether Christ's coming was according to their scenario or not, better question is, are you ready for the coming of Christ? Are you living as if you were ready? And at his coming, will you be with him or judged by him? As we heard read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. As we come to this text this morning, what I want you to leave here with is that as a child of God, you can be prepared. You can be patient and you can be at what? At peace. I expect you to know that by the end of the message. If you forget everything else, prepared, patient, and at peace. Well, how do we do that? I mean, how, 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 do, how do we arrive at that place where I'm ready, I'm patient, and I'm serene? Where I don't live my life fearful of everything that's happening, but being able to rest in the sovereign control of God, in the conviction that not for a moment has God ever lost control of the world. He has never uh, left or abdicated his power. 
And I would say, first of all, you come to this place by understanding that the Bible is more preoccupied with how you live than with many of your questions. You see, often we're focusing on the questions. And we're often like children on a road trip. And this has probably happened to you, and you were probably one of those children also. You get in the car and you're traveling somewhere and the kids say, how long before we get there? Go a little further. Are we almost there? Go a little farther. Are we there yet? Now, I don't know if that happens so much today because kids can be entertained with their, their personal DVDs and everything else, but the questions come and the questions, and, and, and it's okay to have these questions. And we try to teach what the Bible says, recognizing that there are differences among many of God's people, and there's really too many to mention this morning. But if you're interested in the questions, let me just give you a, a brief answer to some of the questions. Many Christians are looking for Christ to come at what's called the rapture of the church. That is, any moment Jesus might come, he comes in the clouds, the dead in Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, are raised first, then we, those who are alive, are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So there's a resurrection of believers, of New Testament believers, because usually Old Testament believers are not included in that resurrection. They are resurrected later on. Following that, it's called the rapture of the church, follows a period of seven years called the tribulation. The tribulation is for the world. God pours out his judgments on the world from, from Revelation chapter 4 to chapter 19. After that period, Revelation 19, Jesus comes again. A great vision, majestic vision of Christ coming on a white horse and with a sword from out of his mouth to, to defeat uh, his enemies who arise at the end of the millennial period in, in rebellion against him. And he comes and, and could, that is then called the second coming, is distinguished from the rapture of the church. So at the second coming, Jesus comes at the end of that period in order to, or the, the end of the, the tribulation, to defeat his enemies, set up the kingdom, and then there's another coming. It's a little bit confusing. Then there's the lake of fire, there's the judgment. I'm just giving you a broad sweep here. I can't cover all of this. There are others who see that Christ comes one time. He returns. There's a resurrection of the just and the unjust at that time. The enemies of Christ are defeated. The eternal state begins. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. There's, there's a destruction of the present order. Now, there's, there's a lot of differences between all of that. And I need to say that there's reputable scholars on both sides debating that question. Does Jesus come at the rapture, take the church out, tribulation, then, uh, then the, the millennium following that, and then Christ coming at, at, at that time? Or he's just coming again. He's coming again, the second coming. He will defeat his enemies at that time. He will inaugurate his eternal kingdom. One of the big questions is, 
whether or not there will be a, what we call a, a prelude to the eternal state. Will there be a millennium here on earth? Uh, will there be a restoration of Israel? And some even talk about a rebuilding of the temple. I'm just mentioning that because this is out there. You'll, you'll, you'll read this if you do any reading, you do any study. It's a good thing to study. But after you've asked all those questions and you've gotten the answers to your satisfaction, then come back to Scripture and realize that what God is really concerned about is how you live in this world today. He wants you to be ready. He certainly doesn't want you to be ignorant of, 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 the, of, of the scenarios that are coming that are, might come to place. But it's easy to allow the modern era and current events to, to determine what we believe. Determine that the coming of Christ must be near or, or maybe we're in the great, the great tribulation already. Or others say, no, the great tribulation isn't for believers, it's only for, for unbelievers. Realizing, perhaps not realizing, that for 2,000 years, believers have gone through great tribulation. Believers have been martyred and persecuted and suffered for their sake, and we in the West have been fairly immune to that, but we think that's kind of not for us, that's for another place and another time. How a Christian should live and die was a far more concern to the community to which Mark wrote this letter than what sometimes becomes simply fruitless speculation of our days. And so I want you to think about that this morning when you have your questions. You can have your questions, but God is more concerned about how you live. How you live your life waiting for the coming of Christ. I've often said to, to my friends uh, with different uh, viewpoints on this, and I have to say I've had different viewpoints over the years on this. And if you ask me next year, I might have another viewpoint on some of, some of the details, and that's okay. But often what I say to my, my friends when we, we talk about this, we discuss it, we essentially discuss it, is that I think we're all gonna be surprised. It's probably not going to work out exactly how we thought it would work out. And that's okay. Because what God is concerned about is that you be prepared for the coming of Christ. That you be patient, patiently waiting for the coming of Christ, and that you be at what? You be at peace. One person got it. You be at peace. But God's concerned about how you live. Secondly, how do we prepare? How do we live patiently? And how do we experience real peace? We do this by understanding the encouragements and the warnings from Scripture. And we find a number of these in the text. I won't be able to deal with, with all of them this morning. But we find that Jesus really doesn't answer the question 
are the two questions of what and when that his disciples gave, uh, presented him to. And Jesus often did that. He often used the questions to turn people in a different direction and to think in another direction. I mean, they came to Jesus and they said, you know, Jesus, look, look at this. Look, look, look at these wonderful stones. Look at this building. And, and it was really an architectural wonder. It was, it was Herod's temple. It wasn't Solomon's temple. It was Herod's temple. Enormous stones. I mean, something like 37 feet long. I forget how wide and, and high. And it was a marvel. And as they came out of the temple, they said, Look, teacher. These wonderful stones and these wonderful buildings. And, and Jesus' remark must have startled them. Not one stone of these buildings will be left one on another. If you've been to Israel, and I have been, you know that that's true. There are still stones there that many believe were part of the foundation of the temple. Others believe they were a, a wall uh, a, a, around the temple. Uh, there's even some debate on where the temple actually was. So what Jesus uh, prophesied took place in, in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the city. But Jesus used that coming event in these verses and throughout the chapter to speak more broadly, to speak more, more generally about what's going to happen to them in their lifetime and what's going to characterize the age in which they live. And it's for that reason that Jesus tells him in verse 5, he says, Don't be deceived. Don't let anyone lead you astray. In verse 7 he says, Do not be alarmed. And in verse 9 he says, Be on your guard. So Jesus here gives these encouragements and and, and these warnings that they should not be deceived by pretenders or distracted by catastrophic events. Neither should they allow persecution to destroy their loyalty to him. We see that especially in verses 9 to 13 when they were going to be dragged before the councils and, and in synagogues. And they were going to testify for Christ. We are warned against being led astray by impostors. And it was true in their day, it's true in our day. Those who come, who promise what God has not promised. Those who claim to have a, a special status in representing God. Or who speak where God has not spoken. There are false teachers today, there are even false messiahs. Jesus said, don't be led astray. And today, if you want to be prepared for the coming of Christ, you will remain focused on the authority and the sufficiency of the Word of God. And you won't be taken away by every YouTube preacher with the speculation and the novelties that come up and, and all these things that are, that are really, really exciting and, and interesting and yet have no basis in the Word of God. Oh, they might entertain you. But they won't edify you because it is only God's word that provides the needed 
edification and maturity that we need. So he talked about false teachers. He talked about wars and rumors of wars. Uh, my latest search on that, that there are more than 40 active conflicts in the world today. Now, we know of Syria. We know of Iraq. We know of Iran. We know of Afghanistan. We, we know of those that, that, that touch us more, where we've had our military involved. The Council of Foreign Relations lists them in their impact on U.S. interests, whether they're critical, whether significant, or whether there's, they're limited. So we, we don't hear a lot about what's going on. But we do know that these things characterize the entire age. And if we're going to be guarded in our minds, if we're going to be living without fear, then we need to understand and, and, and not allow political and social upheaval to upset us, upset us and become obsessed with things to the point that we can no longer engage in the mission that God called us to do. Disruptions in our society follow from human depravity. These are signs which point to the end. But as Jesus said in verse 7, the end is still to come. So today there should not be too much that surprises you if as a Christian you have a biblical worldview. These are signs of the moral condition of our age and, and point to God's righteous judgment. That text that Aline read this morning actually was in here in my message, and I'm, I'm not going to read the whole text. But when you read that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I don't know how we can hear those words. sobering words without reflecting on the state of the world today and the mission of God's people and the need for people to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we are not pessimistic doomsdayers. You know, we're not running around, and I don't know if this can translate into French or, or Spanish, but we're not like Chicken Little. Some of you know Chicken Little. Running around, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. No, but we do see in the world rebellion against God and against His order. We see the vast human conflicts and natural disasters, all signs of an ending world groaning to be delivered by the coming of Christ. We're reminded that this world is our, is our home for now. But we are pilgrims. 
We're going to the New Jerusalem. And, and Jesus said in verse 7, These things must take place. He called them the beginning of birth pains. Something obviously I have no experience with. But I do understand from others that sharp pain that precedes giving birth to a child, that intensifying reminders of the coming birth. And we find that today that we are in the, the birth pains of this world order. There is what Paul called in Romans 8, he said, talked about creation that was groaning and longing to be set free from its bondage to corruption and in pains of childbirth for deliverance. The warning to be on our guard warns of personal dangers and, and Jesus begins to talk of some of the perils and catastrophes that will take place and what will affect them personally. And he, when he talks about persecution and, and these disciples that came to him are going to experience that. Acts chapter 12, James is martyred. Jesus said, they're going, to, they're going to drag you to places. They're going to take you before the authorities, whether civil authorities or, or religious authorities, and you're going to testify to my name. You're going to do what he said for my sake. Listen, I'm not looking to do any of that. But I want to be willing to do it if the time comes. And do it for the sake of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because our testimony demands that others investigate the claims of Jesus Christ. And in those terrifying moments, Jesus said, don't think about what you're going to say. He's not talking generally about conversations and witness. He's talking about those times when we absolutely have no words and the Spirit of God works in our lives to enable us to speak boldly the claims of Jesus Christ. Jesus also said in this text that the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel had to be preached to every nation. It's Matthew in Matthew 24 who calls it the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom has gone to every nation. Certainly there are pockets of people here and there that have not yet heard the gospel. And certainly not every individual has heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what Jesus prophesied here has taken place. The gospel, the kingdom. And the gospel is a gospel that saves, but it's also it's a gospel that proclaims that Jesus is king. He's not simply the coming king. He is the king today. He reigns. He reigns in the lives of his people. He calls people to repentance. He calls people to, 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 to surrender. And rebels must know that their rebellion will end and judgment will come. They must be invited to repent while there is yet time. Before it's too late and the age of God's grace and mercy ends for those who reject Him. 
As I read these verses, it's hard for me to imagine, especially verses 12 and 13, the extreme hatred to which Christians will be exposed, the hatred among family members, a hatred for believers. And what we see today, we're seeing today a fanatical hatred of the gospel and attempts to throw off any vestige of Christianity. Jesus said that the most intimate family relationships will involve treachery and betrayal. He says the hatred will be, he says you'll be hated by all. Not by every individual, but by peoples everywhere. Christians will be hated. But he gives us his promise. He says in verse 13, he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now when he says to the end here in this verse, verse 13, it, it's not the same as the end in verse 7 when he's talking about the end of the age. This is the end of one's life in persecution and martyrdom. This is not salvation by works. It's not our steadfastness that saves us. But our perseverance in trial, in persecution, these are evidences of the genuineness of our faith. These are signs that we truly are children of God. Thirdly, this morning, and I'm going to close with this, the third way that we can be prepared and patient and at peace is by understanding that the world as we know it will end. But there is a world coming without it. And when we keep our minds on that, on the promises of God, and we realize that God's agenda is the kingdom of Christ, presently inaugurated, awaiting its consummation, then we, we know, we, we, we have this biblical worldview. We can look at what's going around, going around the world today, and we can know that in time, all world orders will crumble. Nations, kingdoms, emperors, presidents, Democrats, Republicans, all will pass away. There is a new world coming. We don't know when. We're not here to speculate. But we want to be ready. We want to be patient. We want to live God's people as God's people. We don't want to bend under the pressure. And the pressures are there, believe me. Enormous pressures to conform to the spirit of, of this age. You find them where you work. I find them in my workplace more and more. These pressures, not, not simply to, to embrace individuals and to love people, but to embrace behaviors. That's what I'm finding where I work. I embrace individuals. I, I work with, with uh, homosexuals and, and bisexuals, and, and I've had transgendered patients, and, and, I, and I can work with them, and I can love them, and I, I can respect them. But I find that many of the places where I want that, that's not enough. They want, to, they want you to affirm that. They want you to, to validate 
the social engineering of our time, and, and as a Christian, I can't do that. I can embrace people. I can love people. But I can't embrace everything they do. And you will find, if you're a Christian in the workplace today, that there will be more and more pressure to bend, to cave, to give in, or to be bullied into silence. It's all going away. And Jesus is coming again. Let me say that, let me say that I, I'm, I'm glad I'm an American. Uh, I've been to many countries. I've been, lived overseas, lived in Eastern Europe. I've been to Russia, Ukraine. I've been to China. I've been to Moldova. I've been Albania and Bulgaria. I've been to many different nations. And I never once left one of those countries thinking, oh, I wish I was born here. I wish I lived here. This, this would be a great place to live, raise a family. But on the other hand, I don't see that America has any special status, any special protection from judgment, from the judgment of God. And so when we look at the upheaval and disintegration around us, as a citizen of the United States, I'm prepared to exercise my rights as, as much as I can, as the, as the Apostle Paul himself did when he was in prison. I am not prepared to sell my soul for any political agenda. Our first allegiance is to the gospel and to the Christ of the gospel and everything else flows from that and is subordinate to that. Why? Because I believe what God has said in Hebrews chapter 12. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with fear. Getting back to the question at the beginning, is the end of the world near? In some sense, the world has already ended. When Christ came the first time, the world as it was ended. And he began something new. When you became a child of God through faith, the world as you knew it ended or should have. And when Christ comes again, the world as it is now will end. Now ask yourself, what world do you live in today? 
You either live in a, in, a, in a society where you're encouraged to stand alone, take what the world owes you, create your own reality and identity, or you will identify with Jesus Christ and that band of his followers as insignificant as it may appear sometime, and you will refuse to bow the knee to anyone but Jesus Christ. That one before whom one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's coming again. Amen. Are you ready? Are you patient? Are you at peace today? Let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, how thankful we are that we can have complete confidence in you. And Lord, when we look at the teaching of our Savior, we look at his disciples and what awaited them. And we look at our lives today and what may await us as your Father, may we be unmoved, may we be unbowed, may we be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, may we love those who are in need of a Savior, may we live lives that, are, that honor you and glorify you. Father, I pray today that if there's anyone here with us in this place, anyone listening, who does not know Christ as Savior, and at his coming, remaining in the state in which they're in now, will come under his judgment and come under eternal judgment. Father, today, turn their hearts to you. That they may trust Christ, not as an escape from this world, but in order to live in this world, Prepared, patient, and at peace through the gospel and through your grace we pray in Christ's name.